surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest escapes these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is with my good friend, Seth Baird. Seth was on a uh, previous episode, shoot, a little under a year ago. Um, I had a quick episode with him as he was getting ready to run a race, and we kind of had a pre-race phone call. Seth is someone who I've coached now for about a year, and... I was at first hesitant to have him on the show in this capacity because I didn't want to seem like self-promotion or, you know, with me being his coach, I didn't want to, I didn't want anyone to think that this was at all about me or my coaching because that's the last thing I wanted because Seth is just such an awesome guy. As you're about to find out, he's just such a fantastic person, a good friend at this point beyond the coaching relationship and also one heck of a runner, but someone who did not start out that way, that is for sure. All of us have kind of come to running from a variety of different avenues. Seth is the only person I know who came to running through bodybuilding. That's right, bodybuilding. If you are listening to this episode and have already seen the podcast graphic, then you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, go check it out. This guy was Diesel. He's still pretty strong. I got to give him that. Um, and certainly not what you would expect from a future runner. And two years ago, he started running and he has improved dramatically. This guy has just taken to it like a fish in water. And he has done so well. He just ran his first marathon, ran it in 314. My goodness, he just had such a great year. And I couldn't wait to talk to him. And we spent a lot of this episode talking about coming to running from where he was because again what a unique path so with all that being said here is my episode with seth baird hello seth and welcome back to the show awesome thanks matt thanks for having me yeah this is great so you were on uh, a while back because we we recorded a call where we did like a pre-race call with you you're getting for a big race and you know we went through some like pre-race logistics and all of that, which was fun and enjoyable. But I was excited to get you on the show to kind of do a deep dive into your past and what you've been up to because you've had this, you know, this crazy, this crazy athletic life, and it's very, I guess, atypical for a marathoner. And that's the other thing: you just had your first marathon. Congratulations, an official marathoner, yes. three fourteen down in Charlotte. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been definitely a long journey for sure. And it's something that's been on the, I guess you could say bucket list for a while now, but something that I really didn't see happening anytime soon. And now it's done. So I'm a marathoner. That's it. Now retired, right? You're done. You're done at this point. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll run a couple races next year. Maybe, maybe a 5k here or there. Nothing big. All right. So, 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 so it wasn't a complete bucket list moment. There's other things on the bucket list. Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So I guess the first things first, and I, I don't normally go completely chronologically in these conversations. I like to do it kind of like topically, but I think for you, topically and chronologically is kind of the same because your athletic life has been so varied. I think the biggest thing is you just don't see many people go from bodybuilder to marathoner because from a sports perspective, I can't think of a lot of sports that are more dissimilar than those two. Yeah, it is definitely a big 180, I'd say. Um, and to be honest, I never saw myself doing it either. It just 
the opportunity presented itself and my time commitments changed and, you know, running kind of took its place, um, which has been great. It's been absolutely great. And I, I love it now. So, so what was your like high school athletic life like now that you've had like two different ends of the spectrum, what were you originally in your athletic career? So I was always kind of a multi-sport athlete. Um, first sport I ever played at four years old was soccer and that continued all the way through high school. Um, in high school, we also picked up basketball and baseball. And so running was always kind of involved with it. And not that I enjoyed the running part, but I always kind of excelled when it did come to that conditioning kind of, I wouldn't say it was a breeze, but it was something that I didn't dread at the end of the practices. Um, and so, yeah, basketball, baseball, soccer through high school and then baseball through college. So were you one of those kids growing up where like, did you excel like, like from like power and explosiveness or were you one of those kind of kids who could kind of like run all day and just kind of wear people out? Matt, I was one of those tiny, like quote unquote shrimps, if you want to put it that way. Dead serious. I mean, it was, I mean, if I was soaking wet, maybe I'd tip the scale. Um, I was always, always active though, constantly on the move, always had trouble sitting still. Um, but I've never picked up a weight until I guess senior year of high school. So I guess I always kind of got by on that, just kind of just being able to run forever. So as, you know, as an athlete, especially with basketball and baseball, where lifting is kind of ingrained in the culture. Where, you know, this is, you know, as someone who played basketball in high school and college as well, especially with baseball, like when you were growing up, like, shoot, every baseball player was completely, you know, roided up and diesel and people smacking home runs everywhere. So, like, why do you think you even picked up lifting so later on in life in regards to probably, you know, other kids who were playing those sports at that time? I think it was once I graduated high school, there was kind of a void. I went off to school for, just a semester in the beginning um, to play baseball. And then when I took a step back from school, I just needed something to fill that that downtime. Um, and the gym kind of was a perfect niche for me. I ended up finding a job at a gym, worked at a gym, and you know by default just started working out in after hours when we closed the doors. Um, and so that's how I really got into it. And of course, when I got into it, I really got into it in the sense that running cardio that was out the window at that point it was all weights all the time sammy sosa mark mcguire let's just get big (laughs) and so it was kind of really dove into that mindset and yeah it was great while it lasted um but yeah it was pretty heavy duty for a while so so you basically people who for people who don't know you basically just brought up the two guys who kind of led baseball back from the brink after the strike era, they set the home run records. And then later on, we realized that they basically were like, you know, they, they, they weren't to like, they're basically the Terminator. Like they were like only like 65% human. Um, yes, in regards to yes. like, is what their, like their internal makeup was. Cause they were, you know, so roided up, but why do you end up staying, um, you're for, you know, at college, you went there to play baseball, you know, baseball is a spring sport. Why did you only stay in college for a semester? So the first school I went to, um, Greensboro College, a smaller school um, here in North Carolina, I the coach wanted me to transition from shortstop to left field. And there's a big transition in the throwing slot from infielder to outfielder for those that play sports. And so being, what, 17, 18 years old, I thought I would take my future in my own hands and decide I need to step away, not lose a season, 
and take some time off to relearn this new position just so I can get out and possibly start four years. And so that semester off turned into a year and a half off. And then at that point, I just wanted to get back into school and baseball was still there. I walked onto a small school in Virginia, Virginia Intermont College, and played four years there. And along that, we had a strength and conditioning coach that was big on the weights. And at this point, I knew that my prospects of going professional, you know, that was out the window. Um, I'm still waiting on that call. Um, But yeah, he really embraced building a good, strong base, legs, upper body, arm strength, just to help you play the game better. Um, We weren't, we didn't have the best, I guess, a record. Um, And so a lot of us really dove into the weights heavy, hard. And I kind of just stuck with that through college and then years after college. And how did your body change? You just mentioned before that you were on the smaller side as a kid, you know, as you know, how did your body change um, in regards to like how much weight did you put on, you know, during this, this five or six year period? Um, and just physically, like what parts of you, like what parts of your body grew? You know, when I think of a baseball player, you know, I think so much of the power is derived from like, you know, basically like the upper legs and hips and butt. You know, you see so many people like, you know, that that sport in hockey, like so much people, so many people derive their power from that, those rotational muscles kind of in the midsection and core. Yeah, absolutely. It, it starts at the base, starts at the legs. Um, I was one of those weird kind of, I guess you could say hybrids in a way that because I still had that strong running background or just being able to just run forever conditioning wise, it was always hard for me to put on weight. Um, in college, I'd say I'd weighed maybe one 75 my freshman year, topped out at around 185 pounds my senior year. And we constantly at that point were eating tons of calories, 2,000 to 3,000 calories a day, if not more than that, working out sometimes twice a day. And it was hard for me to put on weight overall. Um, It wasn't until after college where I stopped the conditioning portion and was only working out weight-wise that I really started to get it, I guess you could say get bigger. Um, but it was, I mean, I was always kind of a lean kid that was just small, but just, you could eat everything, eat fast food all day long. and just wouldn't put on an ounce. It was one of those, I guess in a way it's a gift though. Nowadays looking at it. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I was one of those kids too. I'll tell you that, that those days were long gone. From the oh yeah. Oh, it's out the window. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they always say that, like, you're going to regret this when you get older and you're like, yeah, all right. And like, they're right. I regret it big time yeah but (laughs) it caught up it caught up and the reason i bring up weight it doesn't matter from a running perspective like your running times or your running times and things like that the reason i bring it up is to kind of set the stage to talk about your bodybuilding life where you know what you weigh is important because it sets up the divisions you're in and things like that so once you left college and like you mentioned like you started you know not 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 doing the conditioning side and really focused on the weightlifting side how big did you end up getting I peaked out at around 215 pounds. I'm about five foot nine. Um, I like to round up to five ten. Um, but two fifteen is what I peaked out at at the biggest. And that was probably two years after college. I graduated college in 2010, so maybe 2012, 2013 was my biggest. And at that point I had done I think three bodybuilding competitions, um, which is a whole nother Pandora's box, um, trying to compete natural in a circuit that's normally kind of wide open, it was tough. Um, 
And so a lot of decisions had to be made with that and depend on how much you really want to get it into it. I always had a toss up. It was always kind of that internal struggle back in my head. Just how much do I really want to get involved with this sport? Right. And I know that for people who don't understand, like there are like two separate sides of this world, right? There's like the clean, all natural bodybuilding side. And as you just mentioned, there's kind of like the, for lack of a better word, like kind of like the open division. Yes. Where it's like you just yes. show up and do your thing and there's not as many questions about what's fueling you um, to get to that level. Yes. Oh, it's it's very much so. And the first show I did was a true all natural show. It was a small show in Tennessee. And to be honest, I think it was maybe 10 people showed up. They ended up combining weight classes because not enough people showed up. Um, and in hindsight, well, kind of a side note, I didn't realize that you had to shave your whole body <laughs> prepping for a show. And I was living with a gentleman that convinced me that the only way to get ready was to get a wax done. So I proceeded to get a total body wax neck down, which was absolutely awful, the longest two hours of my life. And not got to the show and realized after I talked to some of the guys that had been there, they're like, no, you're absolutely crazy. Why would you ever do that? Um, the video is still floating out somewhere, but hopefully it's long oh, gone please. at this point. <laughs> this needs to be something that people can swipe right, swipe right on on my Instagram page when we do this podcast graphic. We need this video. This is like 40-year-old virgin type type video here. It was awful. And she, like, I guess chest hairs don't come out that easily. So she enjoyed tweezing individual chest hairs out, which <laughs> it was awful. I only actually let her get one of my armpits. Um, she waxed my right one, and I refused to let her touch my left armpit. I was like, I'm done. I'm done at this point. So did you go into the competition with one armpit shaved I, and one not, or did you have to do that one manually? I used some, I used some scissors, kind of trimmed it down a little bit. Um, but then we went to the show, and luckily it didn't show up in the front double bicep. Um, and so didn't get points knocked for that one, but it was an experience for sure. So you so when they said this is an all natural bodybuilding competition, you thought it was like hair related, not supplement related. Well, I knew it was like <laughs> supplement related, but as far as like, I didn't know what I was doing. And the fact that I took advice from a gentleman that not only had never worked out before, um, but also never had done anything with bodybuilding. I mean, I I was just naive. I was just, you know, if you got a if you get any bit of tips and advice, I'll take it, you know, and I'm going to try it. So it was, it was a learning experience. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Okay. So what kind of dedication is required for someone like you, you know, a kind of a lean guy, as you mentioned, especially at that time to get to the point where you put on, you know, 30 to 40 pounds in, you know, a three or four year span, especially in the last year and a half or so, what kind of, what kind of regimen in the gym and from an eating perspective is required to do that and then maintain that weight? Gosh, it was, it was a lot. So that the waxing, that was my first show. And I guess I'll fast forward. I did the Knox classic, a show in Knoxville, Tennessee. And at that point I finally had I had learned more and talked to more guys that actually were involved with the sport. And so, I mean, I guess I started my morning off. I would, I guess to give you a rundown, maybe eight, eight to nine eggs in the morning. Um, maybe only two yolks with it and two cups of oatmeal. That was kind of like everyday breakfast, seven days a week, um, which was a lot to get down and eating every two hours, which is a whole nother, you know, micromanaging your entire day. Um, I would spend usually 
the ones that were more kind of in that routine would prep meals on Sunday and just have it for the week. I was just never able to keep cook that much at one time and be able to eat that same thing by the end of the week. So I would meal prep every night. So I'd usually spend two, two and a half hours at the gym every day and an hour, hour and a half at night prepping food for the following day. And so you're looking at easily four hours a day spent, three to four hours a day, just within that realm, along with work and school. Interesting. See, I I thought the the meal prep heroes were like the parents who have like four kids and like work full time and just don't have time after work. I didn't realize that bodybuilders were like the true meal preppers this whole time. It's nuts. I mean, I remember I used to take, you know, pictures and send them to the guys I was training with and you'd see maybe 12 Tupperware sitting on the kitchen counter all filled with food and something else is still in the stove. You got something in the oven. Um, it's just constant. And then at the end of cooking everything, you realize, oh, I got to fit this in the fridge somehow. Um, so it was it was a process. It really was. At that point, you know, I, of course, we didn't have no family and kids and all that kind of stuff. So it was I could invest that much time in my life to that sport. Um, and I loved it while I was in it. I absolutely loved it. What was the best part for you? I think the best part, the bodybuilding shows weren't the best part because you work for a year to a show and then you realize that you only get three minutes on that stage. That's it. So it's like you work that long for that short little window and then you're getting judged based off your performance. Um, The working out part, the grind, the every day hitting the gym, getting the meals in, drinking the water, getting home, texting and talking to your gym partners. Okay, what are we going to work on the next day? Oh, great. I like that. Well, this is achy. So let's, can we do this instead? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, we'll switch. We'll do this on Tuesday and we'll push that one back to Wednesday or Thursday. Great. I like it. And so just that constant everyday routine, that was my favorite part of it. Um, I'm a creature of habit. Um, It's my wife knows it. And so that's kind of my comfort zone is that you know what's happening, what time of day, when the meals are coming. It's just very regimented. And I just enjoy that because it's all working towards a a goal. And did you get attracted to just like the whole numbers side of things? Like everything is so quantifiable. Um, now, I mean, obviously with bodybuilding, there's the other part of like, you know, how you look in the mirror, which isn't necessarily a quantifiable metric. Um, there's people with you know, body dysmorphia and just, you know, how you look at yourself can be so subjective, but just from the pure lifting side, you know, how much you can do versus how much you did in the past. Was that something that you took to? And obviously there's, there's parallels there with running potentially. Oh, Absolutely. Um, when I first got into it, I was only, you couldn't pay me to even look at a bodybuilding video. I thought, why would I ever pour myself around in something like that on stage in front of hundreds of people? No, it was all about lifting more, getting stronger. What is that human potential? That was my big kind of go-to. And I just enjoyed the fact that, you know, from last week to this week, oh, I can do this much more. This is great. Um, I can do, you know, and that's, that's what really drove me along. And it wasn't until, you know, a year or two into it that someone said, oh, you, you ever thought about stepping on stage? And I was like, well, no, I mean, I'm not going to do that. Are you serious? And, but that was just another layer to the whole puzzle because it just, it fed into everything else I had been doing for so long. Um, they gave me a goal, something to focus on. And obviously, once you start deciding to get on stage, it's not necessarily only about how strong you are, but there's the other component of, you know, 
lowering your body fat to kind of unleash the muscle underneath. So it's, you know, you know, obviously available and perceptive to all the people out there. So how were you doing cardio um, once you once you decided to to step on stage? So fortunately for me, with my background and just, I guess, kind of genetic base of being able to run and that kind of stuff, conditioning wise, I didn't have to do that, you know, two to three month cut down period or diet period, if you want to say it that way, um, to get ready to step on stage. Um, I did work with a coach towards the end of the bodybuilding stint I had, and he did not want me to do any cardio at risk of flattening out, basically where your muscles completely lose their volume. By the time you step on stage, you look flat, um, even under the lights. And so I only had to do, I think it was about a four week cut where I was doing dry cardio in the morning. So wake up um, maybe seven or so before work started at nine and get 45 minutes in on the treadmill. Cardio for bodybuilding is much different. It's walking at three miles per hour on incline. You want to really stay in that kind of fat burning window. Um, Soon as you get your heart rate too high, it turns into more of a cardiovascular workout and you're out of that fat burning window and you're starting to burn the carbs and other stuff in your body. Um, so dry cardio in the morning workout, but I wouldn't do two a day cardio like some other people did. I was fortunate that I didn't have to. Is it called dry cardio? Cause you're not sweating dry. Yeah. Dry cardio. It's like no food, no nothing in your system. You might drink oh, some water. Gotcha. You get there okay. first thing in the morning and it's just forcing your body to use your fat reserves. Okay. All right. Got it. That makes sense. And I also cut my carbs completely after three o'clock every day. And so dry car in the morning and then no carbs. So no sweet potatoes, no nothing from three o'clock all the way throughout the night. It was chicken, fish, and greens. That was it for the, you know, three to four weeks leading up to the show. Now, even now when you're talking about it, it's obvious that you had a lot of affection for this. So when did your interests start shifting away from maybe doing this full time? Obviously it wasn't a profession, but you know, really engaging so much of your downtime in this and start varying your interests either towards running or something else. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of layered with that too. Um I like to be kind of an open book. And so towards the end of the bodybuilding, I guess career, as you could say, three years, I did start to experiment with um supplements and things like that, steroids. And the side effect of that not only um, of course, yes, you are going to get a little bit bigger, but it does put an extra strain in your cardiovascular system. And my blood pressure actually started to skyrocket towards the end. Um, and this was only three years of doing it. And so to think about wanting to get to somewhere of a professional level, there's no way I just had the, for for one, the financial backing to invest in what it would cost to maintain it at that point. Um but also we had our first little one, Nora, and it's been to invest that much time into the gym was just hard. That, and of course, an injury sidelined me too. Um, but I guess that's probably the main reason because the injury didn't happen. There's a good chance I'd still be dabbling in it. But fortunately, I found running and that's really taken its place in more ways than one. So what, what injury did you get? I had a, um, a tear in one of my lower vertebrae, one of the discs. It's called an annular tear. And they weren't sure if it was a partial or full tear, but I was deadlifting. And it's one of those days where you put the weight down, you try to stand up, and it just seizes up on you. 
and you just know something's happened, that kind of gut-wrenching feeling. Um, I thought I'd be okay. Uh, I got home and I actually had to sleep on the floor. I had, had my wife help me into the bed and decided the bed was too soft because the pain was too bad. So they put me back on the floor and it ended up putting me out of work for two weeks and physical therapy. And I was just never able to come back to that. That's been two years ago now. And I, I still go into the gym and everything in me is watching people lift weights, put it down and working on building different aspects of their body. And it's just like, it's hard to watch it. But now I finally open that next chapter in my life. And it's, I don't know, I'm getting more settled with it, if you could say. So when did, when did you start running again? I mean, obviously you didn't like, you weren't running in the first place, but you obviously picked up running and started getting more active. What was that, you know, that first, that first foray back into running like? It was, I'm not really even sure why I got into running. It was, it might've been initially, I just needed something to do because I'm a very active person and having that outlet is so important and kind of just me maintaining composure on a daily life. Um, and so I think it was just a couple of jogs here and there. Um, 2016 was when we had our little one and it was hard to skate away for, you know, a two and a half hour gym session when you got the little one at home, you want to get home, spend time with her. And it was great. I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, but it was hard to find that middle ground with the weight to fulfill that kind of desire. It was either all in or nothing. Um, and I still have a battle with that today. And so, but with the little one, that's why I kind of started dabbling and running and pretty much ran myself into the ground for a year. <laughs> <laughs> and, what, and what does that entail exactly? My idea of running is you run hard and fast all the time. It was still that conditioning mindset most um, collegiate and high school athletes go through where when you're running and conditioning, you run to get stronger, to get faster. Um, and in hindsight, now what I know, I'm thinking that a lot of coaches should probably change their technique, but it's just that mindset when you get into it. I mean, you're a coach for years and it's, you just, you're either doing it or you're not doing it. And so all my runs around the block, every time I ran, I tried to run faster each time. And I was upset when I wasn't able to run faster. Oh, so you were timing yourself on all these things. Yes. Yep. I had about, I think it was maybe about two and a half mile, three mile loop. Um, and when I, the first time I ran, I think it was maybe, I'd say maybe it was around 730 pace miles, somewhere around there. And then I'd see 725 and then eventually get down to seeing 715. But mind you, of course, at this point now, I'm starting to run through blisters, starting to run through shin splints and my mindset is the harder you run, the better you'll get at it. And your body will, you force your body to adjust, which is not the right approach. Um, but that was my mindset. You, you go into it just like the bodybuilding mindset, like you're going to lift this weight regardless. And there with bodybuilding, you know, sometimes you can get through it. And if you fail, it's okay. Drop the weight and you do this for twice as much with running. You just, you can't do that. But I had no idea about that then. 
And it's funny when you think about it now, like you, you put in, you know, 40, you know, a lot of 40 mile weeks um, over the past, you know, six to nine months. With that said, it's like when you're running like all out right from the start in these training runs, I know anyone who's done this like, realizes this. And I know I have when I was younger, too. Is that like a two mile run when you do that is a long run because you are dying at the end. And it's like every quarter of a mile that you go up again. I'm sure now it's like so funny, like a quarter mile difference in a run is not a difference. But at that time, if you're, if you're going hard every second of every run, even like a quarter mile, half mile difference in the run feels like an eternity. Oh, it, it just drags. It drags. And if you don't see that time you want to see by the end of that run, it it's in the mindset I used to have. It was almost demoralizing. It's like, OK, well, tomorrow I'm going to do this. You know, <laughs> I remember. So I don't know how you felt. I remember when I had those days again, like right after college, where I'm like, I'm going to be a runner now. You know, I'm, I'm not doing basketball anymore. You know, like I'm going to I'm going to start running. And I, again, I didn't have a coach. I you know I was completely naive and ignorant. I remember being like, How do people run more than 25 miles a week? I don't understand this. Like people run 100 <laughs> miles a week. Like I'm killing myself every mile, and I'm exhausted, and I'm sore the next day, every day. Like it was yes. for me the whole sport was such a mystery that people could do this because I was just so naive about how any of this worked. Yeah. Constantly in the pain cave. You're just living in it. God, it's so funny. All right. So you had this experience, which like, if anyone has had this, it's like the reason why people give up running is this kind of experience. So you didn't give up running. You kept up with it. Why, why do you think that was? So I started running after when we had our little one and it worked great, you know, with the jogging stroller, I could take her out. And eventually we got to a point where my wife and I thought that, you know, okay, I can get back into bodybuilding. I can get back into working out like I like to. Um, but it's still, I wasn't able to because now I have the pull, internal pull of, I, I want to be home with the little one. I want to see her grow, see her change and all that stuff. And so I ran for maybe at four to five months and then tried to get back into bodybuilding again. And then that second round is when I got injured. And so then it was forced into, well, I have a choice. I can attempt to do this bodybuilding thing or working out kind of half through it or embrace running. And that's when I finally embraced running, started to do a little more research, a couple Google searches. I guess I found one of the Hal Higdon uh, plans and tried to stick to it. But of course, knowing me, I ran hard as I could for each run. Easy runs, I'm like, well, you know, those should be around eight minutes or seven minutes for you. Somewhere in that window. 7.30 sounds good because you can run a six-minute mile. Dude, isn't that like that was basically your 5K race pace you were doing on your easy runs? Yeah. 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 No, it was, I was, I was hauling. I was hauling. Um, and I guess, I don't know how I got to that perspective because I mean, even the, like the Olympics and the runners you see and, um, the trials, all that stuff, it's, I mean, it's, they make it look so smooth, but they're running so fast that I guess in my mindset, I was watching it and thought that, I should be able to do that, which is very unrealistic thing. But you know how it is. You see them on TV and they make it look so easy. All the professional athletes. Um, but they've had years and years and years of getting to that point. So after your first year of running, how did your body change um, from where it was when you were, you know, 5'9", 5'10", 215? Oh, gosh, I've dropped a ton of weight. And that was a whole nother mental hurdle. I mean, 
I'd say I probably dropped, I mean, it was anywhere between five and 10 pounds every two to three weeks. Um, what? It was, I drop it fast because if I don't maintain my eating, um, my metabolism, which, you know, I'm very fortunate for, um, it takes over. Um, and also if I don't have something clear with bodybuilding or running to work towards, I'm one of those people, it's hard for me to eat. Um, my mother always had a hard time getting me sit down and eat a full meal growing up. She said, I always wanted to get out and keep running or playing or jumping or going outside. She, it was like, it was like pulling sticks just to get me to sit down and eat a full meal. Um, and I still have that. It's not great, but if I'm not having something active in my life, it's hard for me to get meals in. Cause it's almost like, why am I eating if I'm not fueling for something specific? Um, and so that's part of the reason I dropped so fast. And knowing, you know, knowing your history and how, what you've battled this year, you know, we've, we've been working together. I've been your coach for the past year, you know, seeing you, you know, battle some not big injuries, but little nagging injuries a lot for you. What is it like when those things pop up considering this kind of like always have to move type nature that you have? Oh, it's, it's a, a tough pill to swallow. Um, my wife often has to tell me like if she sees me limping or if I mention something, she's like, no, you remember you said you were hurting yesterday. I'm like, no, I think I was good. No, that wasn't anything. Yeah. What does she know? She was just a runner. <laughs> like, let's, let's give her some props here because it's not as if she doesn't know what she's talking about either. And she actually, well, we went to college together. So she saw me through all of the college days playing ball and I stayed in her hometown after I graduated college and she was there alongside of me for nearly this entire journey. Um, so she's seen all the highs and lows, but it's, it's tough when those nagging injuries come up knowing, is this something you need to step back on? Do you need to eat more? Do you need to run harder? Or no, 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 you're smart in that now. Let's back off, which is part of the reason, well, I'm fortunate to have bumped into you and us have started uh, coaching and all that stuff because it's been, it's made a huge difference, huge difference. Yeah. Running harder through the injuries is a bold strategy. Yeah. <laughs> not not <laughs> yeah. advisable. But like, that was it, I know, it was, I know, it I know what it. I should do to this injury. I should stress it more. That would definitely help. Yeah. And, and with bodybuilding, it comes down to something's always very sore um, on your body when you're working out. But you work through it and you have someone, which I had, you know, two or three workout partners over the years that they're in your ear yelling, you're going to finish this set regardless. So taking that mindset into running is it's who you got to really separate those two really separate it. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, and that's like one of the, one of this, one of the many differences between the sports, because you know, if you're lifting weights, like becoming sore is a vital part of the process because it means that you've broken down the muscle. Then the, the hypertrophy like allows it to, I think that's the right word allows it yeah, to then yep. build back up. And like, that's how you build the muscle in of itself. Whereas like with the running side, like if you're sore the next day from a workout, again, I had a coach, my first running coach who coached at you know, Brown university cross country for like 40 years or something. was like, if you're sore tomorrow to the point where like, you don't want to run cause you're too sore. He's like, that means you didn't have a good workout. Yeah. It means it, went, it means you went too hard and you need to have micro stresses, not macro stresses. And it was like, what? This doesn't make any sense. Cause again, cause like you, like I was coming from such a different background and it took so long for me to like, for him to like beat that into my head. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, I mean, 
to embrace that because it's one thing to hear it and like actively you know say that out loud even when you're running like it's okay you don't want to get to this point but then to actually do it and take a step back with that mindset that you used to have that's hard because that voice is so loud like push push through it you got this one more set um it's a hard one to beat back into submission you know when it comes to running yeah and so you you're used to testing your body in a very specific way with the bodybuilding what is it like now for you you know how would you compare that to say like the the stresses that you get from like you know you know the, the marathon you just ran or like a really intense long run or um you know comparing it to you know running a 5k where you're you know basically redlining for the last mile and a half or so yeah it's i would say with a 5k i enjoy that because i still have that i enjoy pushing the body to the absolute limit where you feel like you don't have anything left and you're just pushing, digging deep. I love getting to that point. So the marathon was very tricky for me. And part of the reason why I probably ran a little bit too fast through the midsection of it is I was comfortable for the first, you know, the half marathon point went by and I was like, this isn't bad at all. I could have finished my race right now, but no, I'm going to run another 13. Um, And it's like, I feel like I need to be going faster. No, don't go faster you know, stay easy, stay the pace. Um, and then when we hit that wall towards the end where you really start feeling it, now I can dig deep to that mindset that I kind of grown up with where now you push it, you dig, you dig at this point. Um, so, but it was very tough to keep the hand on the reins throughout that marathon. It very, it really was. So what made, what attracted you to running a marathon as opposed to maybe sticking with more of the anaerobic and power um, and kind of going with maybe more of like the 5Ks and being able to like do more races, maybe do something that aligns with more of like your, your power background? The idea of running a marathon is still in my mind so crazy. The fact that people do it and enjoy it, it's, it draws me to it. Um, it's a, a, you know, it's a hurdle. It really is something monumental, I think, for many people, for myself included. And the idea of doing something that, I mean, in college, you couldn't pay me to run more than a mile. I'm like, why would I do that? To run just to run. It's a, it's a weird kind of avenue to go down. But it's so intriguing, I guess you could say. Um to be able to run that far, that long, and the human body is just, the the potential is just endless. And tapping into that, I think that's what really motivated me to, to run a marathon. And you had big goals. I mean, you you when we first spoke, you said, hey, I'm going to run, run my first marathon this year, and I want to break three hours. And, I, and you were, like, amenable to, like, you know, you weren't going to, like, go into the marathon no matter what and say, I'm breaking three hours, say, I don't care what my training says you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. we had we went to that marathon and you, know, you ran really well and you stuck to the plan you stuck to the plan and you know firstly for a first marathon like you paced yourself excellently in that race and ended up finishing with you know a really great time of 314 but you were you had a lot of really good training this past year and things were progressing to the point where i definitely could see you running between three hours and 305 for like a large portion of the year and then you kind of had some nagging injuries which like weren't enough to stop training but did alter it for a little bit so let's talk about how what it was like for you 
to kind of not take that last step in the marathon training this year, not kind of, you were basically getting to the point where I think we both saw your training getting into the 50 mile per week range at the top end of, of your marathon cycle, but we weren't able to get there because of some nag injuries. And you, know, you were basically doing two days a week on the bike. So let's talk about how that worked out for you, like your initial impressions about that and how you kind of progressed um, on the bike from a mindset perspective. I think the bike really helped. Um, it was one of the, actually one of your earlier shows with Sarah Bishop and she talked about the training she puts on the bike and how it didn't really impact her running a whole lot. That really helped me settle with the idea that I could substitute cross training and not lose a ton of fitness. Um, something that I think scares a lot of people. It's like, oh, I have to be running. You know, if I'm not on my feet getting these miles in, I'm never going to make this goal. Um, and so listening to that and, you know, talking with you along the way, it helped me embrace the idea that not only was I still getting a great cardiovascular workout, getting plenty of time in um, on the bike, but also it saved my legs. I think if we didn't do that, I wouldn't have been able to do what I did in the marathon if even run the marathon. Um, cause I was just getting beat down there for a while. Yeah. And what was your initial impressions when we first started bringing in, bringing the bike into it? Did you, did you kind of have that same mentality or did you fight it a little bit? I, it was hard in the beginning. Um, because it's like I, the three hour goal was so clear in my mind. I want to be Q and it was really hard to just make that initial adjustment. Um, but then when you started throwing in some of the workout sprints on the bike, it made me realize that, oh, I am still getting a good workout. And it also, I think within that first week or two, my runs started improving too. I had less aches and pains. So not only was I running stronger, um, but I wasn't losing any fitness at all at that point. And so that really helped kind of twist my mindset that this could possibly work, um, which it did. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things where you think about even with easy runs, and we had kind of a text exchange this week was kind of was kind of you know centered on this topic as well. Is that people sometimes think of easy runs as a way to recover from a workout? They kind of view it as like like almost like you're thinking about you're connecting this easy run to what you've done in the past, right? That's how a lot of people initially view an easy run. Like I'm going to do an easy run because I ran hard this day. And now, like, I'm a little tired, and it's going to help me recover, and I'll feel good, right? As opposed to connecting the easy run to the next workout and say, okay, if I run easy today and tomorrow, again, I could still be doing, you know, six to eight miles, which is a significant amount of miles. But if I run these easy pace and doing it roughly, you know, two minutes and 30 seconds per mile slower than my 5K pace, just as like an example, um, you know, that means that on that workout day, I'm going to be able to crush it because I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm not going to be as tired. Again, you're not going to be tapered, but you're not going to be as tired. And it's going to allow you to really, you know, put in these high quality workouts instead of kind of leaning a little bit more towards that gray zone and maybe not, you know, you know, recovering as well as you should, but also not preparing for a workout, you know, at the, at the optimal level either. Yes. Yeah. No, that's big. And that link between them, that's, that was really important over this past while. And something I'm really trying to embrace now that every run on the plan has such a purpose. 
so a mindset that I didn't have before. Every run before was you need you need to run your balls out and just get it done. Um, but now it's, I mean, this is the setup for that workout. And so that's going to be big with it over the next few months and the next year, really learning to embrace that mindset. And I love it when you get, get these elite runners who, you know, either have their workouts, you know, on Strava or Final Surge, where you can just like see what they're doing every day, or if they post it on some sort of social media site, not just the workouts, but the easy runs, you're like, oh, shoot, like this person runs a 236 marathon, which is, you know, exactly six minute mile pace, you know, and they're doing 830 miles on their easy run like what excuse do i have if they're doing it you know what i mean like what kind of rationalization am i using which is obviously like incorrect to get to the point where like i feel the need to like get into the you know the 730 range on an easy run just because like it's not killing me in the moment yeah yeah no and it's it's i found one thing that is a challenge for me even now that i've you know trying to switch the watch off so I don't look at the paces, just feel out of easy run. But I still have that kind of ingrained in me. Next thing I know, I'm running too fast. Oh, stop. Got to, you know, take a step back here. Um, so really getting comfortable with that. I mean, today was a little bit of a challenge, but, you know, it's it's a learning process for sure. It really is. Especially when you are able to run faster comfortably, just reminding yourself that, no, I got to take a step back and this everything's for a reason. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so one of those things that I was excited to talk to you about is what it was like for you coming down the final few miles of a marathon. For every first marathoner, you know, that that experience is unlike anything else because there's just nothing you just can't compare it to what you've done in training. So, let's talk about what you expected that to be like because again, you weren't coming into this naive to the feeling of like, okay, this is going to be something new, but what was your expectation and how did it react? How did it mesh with the reality of like how your body felt like, you know, in detail? I think going into it, I didn't expect there to be a wall at all. Um, I knew it was going to be hard, but I almost pictured it as hard cardiovascular, like breathing heavy, hard, not your body is going to be done at some point during the marathon. And so I knew we were, we were comfortable running up to 18 miles. And so that was kind of my, you know, barrier. Okay. Just run 18. It's nothing but an 18 mile warm up to run whatever you can at some point and down the road. Um, and so I think when the point came around mile 18 or 19, it was, that's when it was like, whoa, this is the stuff that not only you talked to me about, but a handful of other people mentioned to me, you know, it's going to come at some point. Um, but in the beginning, I thought I was going to be able to, you know, it's just going to be a tough day, a tough day, tough run. You'll be winded, you'll be sore, but you'll get through it. And it was much more than that for a first marathon, much more. And how would you describe it? Like what, what parts of your body were like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not moving anymore. And you have to kind of like, you know, play all the mental gymnastics to get it moving. It started in my hip flexors. That was the first place I really noticed it. When and it was gradual. It was one of those where it, it kind of nagged for, you know, maybe ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and then it started. To, okay, now it's getting hard to lift your leg and swing it forward. Um, I thought maybe let me tighten my core muscles up. Maybe they can help swing it forward. But at that point, my core was done too. Um, 
it was such a gradual, slow decline that it's almost like I didn't even, I don't really even know when it started. It was between mile 18 and mile 20, 21, somewhere around there. It was just like, and fortunately for, well, I guess the marathon I ran here in Charlotte and a lot of other marathons that the crowds and fans are phenomenal. So every time I felt myself drifting too deep and I just could not take another step, I'd make a turn and there was another two or three fans sitting there yelling at me. Um, and so it was, that was a huge help. Um, my hip flexor seized up. I didn't lace my shoes tight enough. And so my toes were slamming up against the front of my shoe, which caused a lot of pain. Oh, so um, now, now you're just breaking my heart. As my coach, you didn't lace your shoes up tight I, well, I was oh spooked about lacing them too tight because I either get, you know, that pressure up top, right? Right at uh, the top yeah, of your yeah, foot. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And of course, not ever running a marathon, you're doing all these things that you don't normally do because you don't know what's going to work in the situation. And so it's like, well, let me try doing it this way. And then you start psyching yourself out. So ended up with, you know, shoes that were laced, not tight enough, sliding back and forth. Um, my first official black toenail is still hanging with me today, which I'm proud of now. Um, but it's, there are a lot of things I could have done different. I mean, my race gels, I dropped one, lost it, didn't realize that if got, my hands got too cold, how am I going to open these up? How am I going to store these? There are so many things that not having run that distance before, I was learning on the course that day. And it was like mental notes, okay, don't do that next time. Don't do this next time. Don't do that. <laughs> and so, and it's so true because you go, you go through this and like no matter how much you know ahead of time, if you've never done it, it's just hard to connect all the dots or and it's, you know, it's, just, it's one of those experiences where it's like, there's a difference between like book smarts and like in this, in this sense, like literal street smarts, like literally experiencing it like on the street, in this case, yes. dropping a goo on the street and like being like, Oh shoot. It's like, <laughs> like, do I pick it up? Do I leave it? And also there's a whole factor where your mind goes places you would never thought it would go. I mean, I was thinking back to my childhood days. I mean, the, my first driver's license test. I mean, it was like, I was like, what is my mind doing? <laughs> did you get, did you get emotional during the race? I got emotional probably towards the end. So about maybe four miles before the finish as the 315 pace group was catching up to me, I was in that place where it was just like, you know, I could just lay down, you know, you did a great job. It's good. Just call it a day. No, keep running. Oh, your feet are still moving. Oh, you are still running. And so it's like, it was tough. It was tough. And then the finish line, it was just collapsed at that point. I mean, I had family there tearing up and all that stuff, but it was tough. It really was. I have a whole new outlook and respect for marathoners. Not that I didn't before, but it was like, wow, anyone, I don't care what pace you run. It's phenomenal that you run a 5k, 10k marathon. It's just like, it takes a lot. It really does. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that people lose sight of that sometimes, that how fast you run a marathon is not indicative of how hard the race is. In fact, shoot, you could argue that like a, a five-hour marathon can be harder than a three-and-a-half-hour marathon because you're just on your feet for an hour and a half longer. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if you just said, hey, Matt, I want you to stand up for the next five hours. I'd be like, oh, shoot. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is going to stink. And to say nothing of actually moving in a, in a constant direction. So, no, I completely hear what you're saying. It, it, it is one of those things where it really, you just have to experience it 
to really get um, to really get that kind of that knowledge and, and hard one that hard won knowledge, I should say. So, with that said, you finished that race and. <laughs> And you were so funny. You were texting me that night. You're like, <laughs> you're like, all right, I, I should, I should be ready to run in like two days. I think. I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Like, we'll see about <laughs> well, that. I, I was ready. I was ready to go. And I mean, it's, it's crazy that you just. I mean, like, all right, cool, that's done. Let me get a couple of days off rest. But that's that body bodybuilding mindset coming back in. Like, let me regroup. I'll be good. Let's get dra- back to the drawing boards. Let's go get after it. Yeah, you were a little bit more sore than you expected, to say the yes. least, I'm assuming. <laughs> Good. I, I mean, it, it was awful. Absolutely awful. It, it, I mean, at work, people asking, like, what was wrong with me? I work at a, um, uh, a nursing home. And so, I mean, even after I tell them, they ask me the next day, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? I'm like, now remember that marathon I ran last week? And oh, remember that marathon I ran two weeks ago? I'm, I'm still working through that. <laughs> Exactly. However, you were eager to sign up for another one. So what about that experience was a positive for you besides the time? But that's that's again, the time doesn't matter because that's, you know, anybody, you know, that, that's a relative situation, right? Like whether you ran a 315, a 215 or 415, you know, it, it's relative depending on like your fitness level and how and how you, you know, what you were expecting coming into the race. So besides the time itself, what about this race was such a positive experience that you were eager to sign up for another one in 2020? Well, I'm very goal oriented. So I do, I mean, I'd be lying to say I don't want to go back and beat my time or run a faster time. I want to go back fully prepared for a marathon with a full traditional buildup. Um, I think that'd be great to go at one and really train well for it and just see what happens. Um, second to that, though, the atmosphere. The longer the race gets, I've learned that the more camaraderie there is between the participants. That was something I did not expect and also something you don't get with bodybuilding. Um, the fact that so many people were so supportive throughout the race. I mean, the community and with you, it's just like everyone's behind you. And then I'm also backing everyone else. It's like, no, did you finish? Oh, great. How'd you do? You finished it. I mean, it's just doesn't matter. The time really is not relevant at all. It's just the feel of that group of people, everyone running together for that long, there's, there's nothing like it. And so I'm very excited to get back, you know, to training and to run another one. I mean, even if I didn't train, I mean, to go volunteer at one or something like that, but it's just that energy. That's what pulls me back. And I want to go and do well enough to enjoy the moment after the race. This past race, I could hardly get home. <laughs> so there you go. Seth, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so much fun. It's been a great year working with you, and I can't wait to keep it going. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Matt. It's been great. Seth, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always such a, it's always such a blast to talk to you. Um, usually our conversations aren't recorded, but I'm so glad this one was. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with Seth, if you would, um, like Seth, like to be coached by me within your running life, I would love to do that. You can check me out at 
theramblingrunner.com and go to the coaching services tab. Uh, this is a coaching business that I started shoot, just a couple weeks ago, and I couldn't be more excited about it. I'm bringing the athletes at a pretty rapid rate at this point. I'm going to cut it off pretty soon. So if you do want to get involved, I would love to have you. Um, but again, that's not why I did this episode. I did this episode because Seth is the man. He is such an awesome guy. You just heard it for yourself. So there are no doubts about that. Lastly, thank you for sharing, rating, and reviewing the show. It always warms my heart when you do that. Thank you so much. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.